Hello, and welcome to episode two of Jack Radio. Today, I had the privilege of speaking with one of my incredible clients, uh, Mark, who is also known as Run Geordie Run. Now, if you haven't heard of this man before, he knows a thing or two about endurance. So I thought we would speak about exactly that, because at the moment we find ourselves in a time which is uncertain, it's potentially a little bit lonely, quite difficult. And these are all things that Mark's had to deal with quite a lot over the years on his various endurance pursuits. So we got into the reasons why he does this in the first place. We spoke about some of the various challenges he's faced, both physical and mental, about what it was like running across the desert in Australia versus running through the US, and also some of the biggest lessons he's learned, how the experience has changed him, and what he gets from all of this personally. For anyone struggling right now, I think this is a really relevant listen for you. Mark's got some real inspiring stories and a lot of value to give. So I really hope everyone enjoys listening to him speak about this. So here's episode two with Run Jordy Run. <coughs> cool. So firstly, um, if anyone doesn't know about what Run Jordy Run's all about, um, could you just tell us a little bit more about when it started, what it's all about and what it's included for you? Yep. Um, so in 1993, uh, it didn't start in the best of circumstances for me when St. Benedict's Hospice cared for my mum. Uh, she went there as a day patient and then in 1995 finally went to the hospice um, and they saw out her final days and cared for her during her final days as she lost her battle with cancer. So ever since 1993, and you know, I was proud to say that when she was still alive, I was raising funds for the hospice. And well, I'm now 27 years into uh, fundraising for the hospice in her memory, and also my father who uh, also died from cancer. So not the best of circumstances, tough times, but I'm one to turn a huge negative into a huge positive, and that's what I've spent years and years doing. So I thought, well, how can I raise money what can I do to repay the huge debt of gratitude that I felt towards the hospice? Um, I'm not one for a sponsored silence or uh, sitting in a bathtub of beans. So I thought, all right, I'll try and run around the block with a view to doing a sponsored run. That worked. I didn't kill myself. <laughs> uh, seven or so months later, I managed to get a place in the Great North Run. I raised a couple of hundred pounds. And... That led on a couple of years after that, a few more Great North Runs to the London Marathon, raised a thousand pounds. And then a couple of years after that, the New York Marathon, uh, that raised uh, a few thousand pounds again. And I thought, well, I now want to raise some big money and repay, you know, what was still, it's for me personally, this huge debt of gratitude that I felt to the hospice. So uh, I thought, well, I'll try and run the width of the country, coast to coast. I like the idea of that. So in 2002, I set out to do just that. That raised £2,000. And then the next year, I thought, right, I'm going to do it this time along Hadrian's Wall Path, dressed as a Roman soldier. A bit of a bit of novelty. The, I, didn't, I didn't know this story. This is new to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't an authentic Roman 
soldier's uniform. It was more like one you'd wear in a stag do. So it wasn't so, to scale weight then? <laughs> no. <laughs> However, I was. <laughs> yeah, I lost, I lost uh, half a stone in, in the three days that it took me to run from the west coast to the east. Um, and that raised, I think, £4,000. Uh, 2003, did the coast to coast again another couple of times. And it was always my uh, target around that time to to run Johnny Gross to Land's End, which sounded ridiculous and unachievable for many years. And I remember getting to each of the coast to coast runs thinking, nah, there's no way I can run Johnny Gross to Land's End. Uh, so then in 2007, after 12 months of training for it, I stood on the start line in Johnny Groats. And 34, uh, 30, sorry, 38 days later, uh, shin splints and, and all kinds and two stone lost in weight. I stood at the finish line in, in Land's End, having raised £34,000. So that was okay. huge for the hospice. And then I thought, well, where do I go from here? And the next logical step for me was to create a fundraising brand Social media was in its infancy, and that's where Run Jody Run came out, a bit like Run Forest Run. Uh, Forest Gump, of course, was the movie that was my favourite at the time when uh, when my mum was very ill, and you know had a without doubt a, a huge um, influence on on me and what I what I did. So I thought, right, I'm going to run across America, a bit like Forest Gump. That took three years to train um, with a broken ankle in there. In fact, it's nearly 10 years ago since I broke my ankle in 2010. Um, but 10 months after that, I stood on the start line, May the 1st, 2011, in California. And 100 days later, I made it across America. £105,000 raised for St. Benedict's Hospice and the oh. Children's Foundation. Amazing. So I thought, right, where do I go from here? <laughs> There's a theme uh, emerging with this, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. So I thought, I think I'll try Australia next. So two years later... Uh, that took 82 days to run across. It raised £55,000 from Perth to Sydney. It was horrific. It, it was the hottest Australian summer on record at the time. Uh, 82 days surrounded by flies. My feet disintegrated and the damage is still permanent. You know, I don't have any fatty padding at the bottom of my feet, for example. So I've got to be very careful what I uh, stand on. But I went on to run across Europe in 2016. Again, that raised £55,000. Uh, this time with the Bobby Robson Foundation and the Children's Foundation. Um, and that was from Lisbon to uh, to Belgrade. It should have been to Istanbul, but they, uh, they decided to have a military coup at the time. Uh, so Turkey was not safe. So we said, right, let's come back to uh, to the UK, regroup and see where we go from here. And by this time, it had become an around-the-world run. Uh, I thought, right, let's join all these uh, these countries up and, and get all the way around the world. 20,000 miles is the aim. And the last uh, leg around the world, if you like, was in 2018. I went back to Belgrade and made 800 miles uh, through Serbia, Romania, to Kiev in Ukraine. And that's where the virtual flag is being planted on the, the journey around the world and run Geordie Run. And I'm really proud and pleased and grateful to say that £330,000 has been raised and there is a fundraising target that I've set personally for local good causes of half a million pounds. So I'm 10,000 miles around the world. I'm well over halfway with a fundraising target. 
but there's still a long way to go in the future. So it's it's not a quick couple of sentences to tell you my story, and, and that's it in as quick a, a space of time as I possibly can. It's mm-hmm. 20,000 miles, half a million pound raised, hopefully by the end of it, uh, and still to come is Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, China, Japan, and New Zealand in the mm-hmm. future. And that'll probably take another four stages to complete. Um, I'm now self-supporting because it, it, uh, it's no longer cost-effective to, to get a motorhome and a support team like I've had in the past. So the last leg and future legs will be done with me pulling an, a 100-kilogram buggy that I'll sleep inside. And that worked really well for me in, in, uh, on the last stage. Yeah, uh, that that boogie's called Chappie uh, because it was paid for by Chapman Ventilation, one of my uh, kind sponsors. So, yep, that's the journey in the nutshell. That's my background to endurance running. You know, I've I've run sixty miles per day. I've run forty miles a day, day in day out, week in week out across Australia and Europe, the Pyrenees, the Alps, the Rocky Mountains, the Mojave Desert, the outback, uh, the Nullarbor. Um, you know the mountains and places I've seen are incredible, and even more incredible than that are the people that I've met along the way. Mm-hmm. And the world is such a generous and kind place. Where you least expect it, you'll find kindness in this world, and that's what's really helped me out uh, during the first ten thousand miles. And hopefully, yeah. that will continue. That's it's an incredible story, mate. And to see you kind of, you know, even just explain going from running around the block to ending up running around the world is is absolutely incredible um so you know we've, we've spoken about a few a few of the challenges that you've faced along the way um and you you've mentioned you've run through all sorts of all sorts of terrain but i think one that kind of stuck out for me was when you were talking about running across uh, the desert in australia um what what was it like running through that by yourself yeah, it was an absolute nightmare um, from many points of view. <laughs> I, I did have a motorhome and a support team. And I say support team, there was one person on the support team at any one time. Okay. So it was very much, very much in isolation. Um, you didn't see anybody for, for weeks on end. Um, you know, in between roadhouses, that's, that's the only kind of people you would see. But when... Me, I can speak from my own experience. When I spend time on me on my own in in a tough situation like that, um, I tend to dwell on things, and I really kind of uh, my imagination uh, works overtime, and, and I, you know I overthink things a lot. And it, and when you've got a lot of time in your hands to think, and you start letting dark thoughts in, especially when the circumstances uh, in your environment is difficult surrounding you as well. Um, you know that's a lot of ingredients for some bad times there and you've got to be mentally strong at least you've got to go through that to come out of it mentally stronger that you can cope with it in the future Mm -hmm. I didn't cope with it particularly well in stages there Um, I've been through worse times since and coped with it better Uh, but Australia for me was a huge learning curve from the mental side of things not you know the physical side you know I'd run across America and, and done that but Australia, yes, physically demanding. But being in isolation, I found very, very difficult. Um, no mobile phone signal. Uh, you know, I had a satellite phone which had to be used sparingly. So I'd make a phone call back home every three, four, five days, something like that. And when I did make that phone call, it was a three or four second delay. It was a very, uh, 
difficult way to have a conversation. Um, so it's amazing what we take for granted. But you know that time in Australia and being in that much isolation, um, I learned a lot from that. And you know, I've, I've, I look on and draw on those experiences uh, quite often. Mm-hmm. And I've got this amazing sense of perspective now that I feel uh, that you know I don't sweat the small things anymore. You know, when you're under that much pressure, like I was in Australia, small things can be huge problems if you let them. You've just got to keep that sense of perspective. What is important? What is life-threatening? What isn't important? What's not life-threatening? Um, and, and you know that that will that, that really helped uh, towards the later stages in Australia. And you know the runs that I've done since across Europe and through Ukraine uh, have been a certain amount easier because of relation that I went through there. Mm-hmm. And so you, you said, you know, mentally this was, it was a really challenging experience for you. And what sort of things um, did you did you do or did you draw upon to to get through that experience when you were running across Australia mentally? Yeah, so fundamentally, and something I've, I've used many, many, many times is to remind myself why I'm putting myself through what I'm putting myself through, mm-hmm. why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's for the greater good and the greater good this time was to raise tens of thousands of pounds for charity. In fact, it's gone on hundreds of thousands now. And you know that, that is pretty much all that is needed. Just a constant reminder of why you're doing this. You know, there's a reason behind it. It's to benefit other people. Um, a little bit of sacrifice. It's going to be over soon. Yeah. Um, you know, just remind yourself of that. And it's going to help change people's lives you're going to make you're going to make some small contribution and if everybody made that kind of contribution it would add up to a huge change um and in this case it was to raise funds for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation and the Children's Foundation that one across Australia yeah. so having that sense of perspective constantly reminding yourself why you're doing it is fundamentally what gets me through mm-hmm. that's it's really powerful um you know hearing that that it is it's drawing upon that that greater good to to get you through the hard times yeah and you know what we're in isolation at the moment mm-hmm. um it's for the greater good it's to protect the nhs it's to save lives to stay indoors sit in your backside and watch television isn't that big a deal for me um i'm seeing your face you're the first face that i've seen other than my wife for quite a long time i haven't even been going out i've been cycling on my drive on a static bike um it's just nice to see someone who has a beard and not like my I should have, I, but a pretty face. I should have made a bit more effort for you now, mate. <laughs> nice to see you've got the lipstick on. <laughs> Only for you. Um, yeah, I, I think um, you know people. People can take a lot from from hearing this, and you know, especially with how how challenging that was. You know, running through the desert and dealing with all those you know, there's a lot of physical challenges as well. You know, there's a lot of life threatening things going on through, through the desert in Australia. It's not exactly like running through your backyard. Exactly. I mean, and you know, if you, you want to look at it from a mental point of view, every mile looks the same in Australia, mile one, mile 20, mile 50, mile thousand, mile 2000, it all looked the same. Yeah. And that, that gives you a feeling that you're not making progress. And that really, is dangerous if you you feel like you're not making progress if something's not tangible not visible 
you, you don't feel like you're making progress where you think what's the point and it's really not good for morale so there was that there were the you know the road trains that would go past um i constantly have to look over my shoulder to keep myself safe there was the the road surface where um you know my sort of 20 centimeter hard shoulder that i was running on was full of sharp stones my feet disintegrated you know 35 to 45 celsius was the uh, the average temperature uh most days in australia you know i didn't i didn't shower uh, very often i think the record i had was 12 days in australia without a shower um hygiene wasn't great my feet were in a horrendous state how i didn't get blood poisoning i'll never know um flies 82 days surrounded constantly by flies you know they were my nemesis and i can't tell you how draining it is being surrounded by flies i could run across australia barefoot if i absolutely had to my life depending on it i doubt i could run across australia without a fly net mm. um, and that was the difference between success and failure that simple piece of equipment that i thought I'll, I'll take one along just in case but it was quite obvious from the first day that, yeah, I'm going to be keeping this on, which made drinking difficult. It made eating difficult on the go. And when you're running 40, 41 miles per day and you're trying to feed uh, and keep yourself hydrated on the go, it's very difficult. So there, was a, there was a whole host of uh, difficulties in Australia. Hmm. You know, as there was with all of the other runs, America was tough and, and all of the other run, ones were as well. But Australia, I think, still remains the most difficult stage around the world for me mm -hmm. and you know how did how did you build on obviously you faced a lot of hardship while you were there how did europe and the u.s compare you know as uh standalone uh runs but also kind of as part of the big picture as well yeah i mean each run is different i've approached each run differently and not with any expert advice you know it's not in the spirit of run jordy run to get expert advice really just get out there and do it. America, I mean, looking back, I didn't have a rest day in 100 days. How ridiculous is that? That's outrageous. Uh, yeah, and I was having to average 31 miles a day. And at one point, I was 178 miles behind schedule with three or so weeks to go. And I thought, there's no chance I'm going to do this. Um, and I just had to uh, you know, go from 31 mile a day averaged, and I needed more 40s and 45s towards the end. With three days to go, I got it down to 155 miles. Uh, got it down to 105 miles with two days to go and 60 miles on the final day to get 3,100 in across America. Um, so I thought, right, when I run across Australia, I'm going to have some rest days. Now, the average in Australia needed was 41 miles as opposed to America's 31, but I had rest days. Okay. And Australia proved to be so difficult that... I had to use those rest days and run through them. So I was always wary of having another huge mileage deficit. Um, and I tried to build in calculated rest days to, to try and combat that. But I just used them up. And in the end, I was 10 days late in Australia. Mm -hmm. In America, had I finished, I'd run one day late, which I didn't. I was on time. But if I had, it, for me, I remember saying at the time, it would have, I think been like finishing outside of a, a medal position in Olympic terms. I trained so long and so hard for it. It had to be done in a hundred days. 
Um, and I'm glad to say it was. Australia was a totally different mindset, totally different attitude, where it was all about survival. Australia is not the type of country where someone like myself can say, right, I'm going to run in 72 days. It took 82 days. I had a few rest days in there. I showed great resilience now, looking back, um, stepped away from it, uh, came back at the right time after having some really uh, considerable breaks towards the end. You know, I had three days and a four-day break towards the end just to get through it. And, you know, most importantly, I got to the finish line and it raised over the targeted £50,000 for charity. Yeah. So with all of those lessons, I went into Europe, had a support team, and I set the support team up saying that we must guard against a mileage deficit. Once there's a mileage deficit, you know, standards seem to slip with me personally, you know, and the momentum is lost, uh, the focus is lost. Um, and I looked at the, the route across Europe in huge detail, calculated where the rest days needed to be. So at the, at the foot of the Pyrenees, for example, in Andorra, at the other side of the Pyrenees. And, and that worked really well. However, the support team were really harsh, some of them. Um, and sometimes, you know, if, sometimes you need to put your arm around somebody and not beat them with a stick type of thing. And let's just say some of the uh, support team were very brutal. Um, and I went through some huge mental problems there. Huge. And, but I, I was always on target. 53 days into that run, I was actually 35 miles ahead of schedule. Wow. Coming out of, coming out of the Alps. You know, I just ran up the Col de Lizaran, the highest paved point in Europe, at 9,500 feet. And down the other side uh, and into Italy, uh, just to the west of Turin, and I was 35 miles ahead of schedule. Unheard of. I was in great shape. I, I mean, I, I love a mountain. I'm, I'm great in the mountains uh, as a runner. I, I could run all day in the mountains. And that was some of the days I put in in the Alps were just, for someone like me, you know, absolutely outstanding running. And the mental uh, side of things really start to fit into place. And I think when you're surrounded by such beautiful uh, surroundings and things to look at. It's really stimulating, helps keep you focused. And I just like an attack in the hills. So that really helped. So the calculated rest days and all of the experience that I'd uh, been able to draw upon going into Europe um, really helped. The support team let me down many times, however. Um, so the final stage from Serbia, I didn't have a support team. Serbia, Romania and um, Ukraine, no support team, very few mental issues. And every day there were many, many people, despite uh, not being able to communicate properly with me because of the language barrier. And people want to know where I was going and what I was doing. And I had leaflets in Russian, for example, and I was able to speak in place names. And mentally it's the... The easiest run that I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. Physically, really difficult. Uh, Torn 100 kilograms of, of weight while I'm running as well. But um, you know, every every stage around the world so far has been different, and I've uh, used the experience of the previous one or previous runs to to, to go forwards, and it's been really uh, crucial to, to the success so far. Mm -hmm. And did, did am I am I right in remembering that 
someone came and gave you a bottle of Newcastle Brown Ale. Was it in, was that in Belgrade or was that in New York? Um, that's happened a few times. Right. Um, the first, <laughs> the first time I remember that, um, was it the run across America? It'll be on my blog actually. Um, it was a mini bottle and I'd had an outstanding day of running. Uh, I think it was in Ohio, in Ohio. Right. Um, and this is something I could never explain in America. Every so often, I would go from the laboured battling days, battling near the, the 45 Celsius in America, and I would just be able to you know, run 10, 11, 12-minute miles for 40 miles the next day. And that was one of those days, I remember. Uh, it was, that was the day I nearly got knocked over as well, uh, being chased by a pit bull, uh, trying to get traffic in between me and it on an interstate. Uh, but yeah, Newcastle Brown Ale. Um, in the Rocky Mountains, a um, place called Rabbit Ears Pass, uh, there was a, a black and white chef pulled up down the road in a car, uh, handed over a cheque for £300 for the charities. Uh, and I've met Newcastle supporters uh, on almost every run. There's a guy who lives near me who I saw in a, a pub when I was having Sunday lunch a couple of years ago, he recognises from uh, one of the early days in America, in Australia. Uh, he uh, stopped to have a conversation. He was living out there at the time. He was a, he was a butcher in an abattoir, uh, and he gets in the local pub here. So there's always Geordies wherever you'll go around the world, um, and you know that, that's been proven. There were Geordies at the start line in Australia, who I'd never met before, who I've become good friends with, and the finish line. Um, there were Geordies in Kiev, in Serbia, the, uh, the guy in the foreign office in Serbia is a Newcastle supporter. Everywhere, you know, there, there have been Geordies that have really helped. But also people, you know, that are native to their, their own countries that I've run through have been unbelievably helpful as well. The people that I've met, it's just been quite incredible reason yeah no that sounds amazing and you know aside from bumping into geordies all all over the world it seems that you guys are everywhere (laughs) what what were some of the lessons that you you know you've taken from some of these really hard kind of times isolated and being challenged by all these different things i imagine that they're very different from run to run like you've said you know it seems like it really builds on you know each time you go out there again you've got this big kind of um backlog of lessons that you've taken um, but is there anything that really stands out for you yeah i think that there are two things really and the, the first one um is using kind of a mental game to overcome a, like a physical battle and that's you know if i'm having a really hard day especially on a, a long long straight as, as such as the roads i was seeing in america and australia you know, just focus on on the next tree. Get to that tree, focus on the next, whatever, the stone, whatever trivial landmark you can find. Don't look at the horizon just yet. Just, right, there's another tree gone. There's another road marking gone, etc. You know, and once you start to chop off all of these small victories, before you know it, you know, they're, they're big victories. They all add up. So, you know, keep focused on the here and the now and don't necessarily focus uh, too far ahead. Yes, plan ahead and have whatever significant thoughts you need for you know the, the longer uh, game. But when times are tough, I've really 
achieve success by focusing and being in the moment and focusing on the here and the now. Um, and I've used that, I think, on every run I've ever done, whether it be round the block or coast to coast across America or Australia. That served me well. Um, I forgot what the second thing was. <laughs> oh. it, was a, it, was, it was a cracker as well. It was something really poignant. <laughs> yeah, it was. What have I drawn upon? Yeah. We, we can come back to it if it pops into your head. Um, we, we can come back to it. Um, I've been, thing... Sorry, I've been, I've been working all day. <laughs> That's all right, mate. <laughs> um, I, did, I did just catch you at the end of dinner. Oh, so sorry, yeah, yeah. It's, sorry, yeah, it's obvious. So, kind of goes hand in hand with, with what I've just said, but you've got to be patient. You've got mm. to um, realise that you know, success or results aren't necessarily going to happen in the next minute, five minutes, week, 10 weeks, whatever. Be patient, be consistent, and the good times and the success will come. And I've, for the most part, followed my own advice. But what I have noticed is when I get towards the end of one of the transcontinental runs, particularly, I would say, in the last I don't know, five or six days of a run, um, it's a bit like being a kid at Christmas. You know, you're looking through the catalogue. What toys do you want? You've been to Phoenix ten times this month, and oh, I want that toy. You just want it now. It's so, you're so desperate for that finish line. Um, and that, for me, uh, sees great anxiety. And in America, um, I was in a terrible pace in the last five days. Anxious nervous and I'm not an anxious person generally um, and, I, and I think it's I could, you know the finish line was there in terms of time it was close it was five or six days away but in terms of distance it was considerably uh, so far in the distance and those two things conflicted with me and led to huge anxiety um, and I, I've, I've tried to safeguard against that and be patient and know that, you know, the finish line's there. I've just got to keep working hard. Same thing happened in Australia. Same thing happened in Europe. Um, and the same thing happened as I approached Kiev. The last three days uh, on this long straight road as I approached Kiev in 2018, the anxiety, uh, I just, I could, I could almost smell the air. Uh, the finish line in Kiev, albeit you know 110 miles away, in three days. Uh, I wish I could follow that advice that I'm giving myself all the time. And generally, you know, the patient side of things does work, but sometimes it's just uncontrollable, and I've just got to put up with it as best I can. So those are the two uh, key features that, that I've faced and that, that really spring to mind. Mm-hmm. And I guess you know that last one is. It's it's kind of understandable with you know with any sort of feat of endurance that you know you may well have times where it, it you know you do have that feeling of anxiety because I think you know for yourself when you get so close to the end you know in terms of days but the the finish line's still you know a hundred plus miles away you know I guess sometimes it's about just putting one foot in front of the other at that point and and understanding that it's 
probably not going to feel fantastic running through the last bit but do you think having done those that that kind of gave you a lot of faith from the first time you did it going into the next time and you know what absolutely no faith whatsoever right you know those last those last days i'm still doubting myself mm-hmm. um i still think you know as i start to overthink things that finish line's never going to come my if i if i if i had these thoughts um you know, the first I don't know ninety percent of a run, I'd never finish. Fortunately, I maintain the focus. Mm-hmm. I know the finish line is there somewhere, many days, weeks, months away. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can in that stage of a big event keep focus and keep saying. It's just in the you know the there was the last few days in in any long long event. Um, so far, I've not yet managed. And I, I wouldn't say it's getting any easier with experience. I know what to expect it now, and I've written about it on my blog many a time. Yeah. Um, and when you know the next stage happens, and I'm, I'll be, this will be happening to me if all goes to plan in Kazakhstan as I approach um, Nursultan. I've, I've got to do whatever I can. Maybe I should, I should start drinking brown ale towards the end. You know, that might, that might help massively. The emergency uh, supply. <laughs> You heard, you heard it here first. <laughs> but, you know, I think for, you know, for, for anyone listening who is, who's also really into their endurance events, maybe that's something that, you know, a lot of people experience. And, you know, actually from, from hearing you go through that a number of times and say it's just something that you, you kind of almost expect that it's going to feel like that. But that's just part of, part of the experience as well. It's, maybe it's not something that's going to change, but... It's just something that's in there as part of what you take from the whole thing. I wonder if a 100 meter runner is like that, you know, and with 80 meters gone, what are they like in the last 20 meters mentally or a, a long jumper or a triple jumper? You know, mm-hmm. I wonder what other exper- people's experiences are for long events as well as, you know, ones that are over almost within the blink of an eye. Yeah. I mean, the, the events that I compete in are about as opposite the other end as yours as could be. And I certainly get anxiety on the last, on the third attempt of each lift that I do. Um, right, that's interesting. It's it's uh, something that's you know I've spoke I've spoke to a lot of other people who've competed at a really high level with this, and it's I think it's just something that you accept is going to be there, and um, it, it never gets any necessarily any easier to deal with, but you just become more familiar with that feeling if you if you get me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe, maybe, I think we're talking about. I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. In, in a different size, scope, and scale. Yeah. Um, but personal to us, it's, it seems definitely the same thing that we're talking yeah. about. It's just mine's over in about fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so That's what the um, wife said in bed last night. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that would come up at one point. <laughs> That's what she said. Most sessions in the gym. <laughs> um. So just a, a last couple of questions to, to wrap things up. Um, what sort of value do you, do you see in these feats of endurance? And that's something I mean, like, um, like what's the point? Um, more so like, what do you, what do you get from these experiences personally out of them? Yeah, that's a brilliant question because I set out and still continue to raise funds for St. Benedict's Hospice. And that is the ultimate aim. And if it, if my running doesn't achieve that, there's no point in me running. It's as, it's as simple as that. But 
particularly after America, I started to look back on these runs and the feeling that I've got um, about these runs, when I think back, I, I don't really have the words for, uh, other than to say, oh, that was, a, that was amazing. You know, I want to do it again. I, I would love to run across America again in the other direction. Um, the feeling of satisfaction, pride, and knowing that I'm serving my parents' memory in such a way that something hugely positive came out of that disastrous, horrendous negative of losing them at such an early age. For me, it, it, it's unbelievably fulfilling. It's incredible. You know, hopefully half a million pounds will be raised. And that's, that's for, for the hospice and other charities who've benefited. But the satisfaction from that, for me, it's life fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's tremendous. And what an example set my son as well. He's 17 year old. Uh, and who knows, he may go on to do things like this in the future. There's no pressure on him and I, I don't really ask anything of him, but you never know. And that would be a huge bonus if he does. So that's what I get out of it. And, you know, I go unpaid for three or four months, uh, quit my job to do this. So it's a huge uh, personal sacrifice. But you can't buy the feeling that I've got now. When I think about the run across America, Johnny Groot's the Land's End, Australia, uh, across Europe, and more recently from uh, Belgrade to, uh, to Kiev. It, it's, it's an amazing feeling. I can't imagine how I'm going to feel when I get to South Island, New Zealand, having run 20,000 miles, and the, hopefully the charity total has smashed half a million pounds. Um, I'm really happy and glad what's been achieved so far, but I'm definitely uh, motivated to continue to raise funds for St. Benedict's Hospice and, and bring this whole thing to a successful conclusion in the years to come. So just to sum up, huge benefits for charity, but for me, absolutely priceless personal benefits uh, that are difficult to put into words. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. And do, do you think the the experience as a whole has, has changed you? And if, if so, how? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I've seen huge changes in myself. Um, I was very shy. Now I feel uber confident in everything that I do. If it's taking the bins out, um, which is usually my wife's job at the minute, I must say. But if I do take the bins out, I feel confident. If I run around the block, I feel confident. If I'm lifting weights in your gym, thanks to you as well, I'm feeling confident. Everything I do has an air of confidence about it and an air of, you know, I'm always calculating and thinking about what I'm doing, trying to do the best, trying to help people. You know, I've changed as a person in so many different ways. I'm able to communicate better. Uh, You know, I've become a salesman for this run. You know, I've lived slept and breathed run Geordie run and the journey around the world and I've tried wherever possible and it's nearly every day to be fair to sell that to other people and they bought into that and they've supported me through donations to the charity um I'm sure that there are lots of other ways I've changed you know physically you know I'm not I'm not the most disciplined away from the running as you know and I eat quite a lot of food um I started the run across America at 18 and a half stone 
and 100 days later, I was 13 stone and 8% body fat uh, from 32% body fat. So the physical changes are there. Um, the next time we do a long endurance run, the difficult thing's going to be getting back to normal life and getting used to not burning eight or 9,000 calories a day mm-hmm. um, and how I cope with that. You know, that, that's a challenge that I see in the future that coming off the back of another run that I must, I must do better with uh, going forwards. So, yeah, physical changes, but mental changes as well, you know, and I just live to serve and help other people now. If it's uh, in any scenario, at work, charity, in their house, family, I just like to help people. And it's uh, it's an infectious thing, you know, no pun intended with a recent carry-on, but the more you help people, the better you feel, and you just want to help people. And it, you know, it's mm-hmm. as simple as that you know, when you break it down to the bare bones. Yeah. And, you know, you've, you've touched on where I wanted to finish there, really, because... You know, obviously, we're we're all about right now, and we we all have to isolate ourselves for the greater good right now. Is is there any, you know, bits of advice that you would you would give out to anyone in terms of the way that they approach this? Yeah, I mean, it took me a couple of days to get my head around this whole virus thing, but I started to feel um, like I did on my big runs. Uh, and it didn't feel for me personally any different. And you know, you've got to think of who you're benefiting by the sacrifice that you're making. It's not a big ask, really, is it to stay indoors or to stay around your premises and away from other people and to socially distance. That's not a huge ask at all. What is a huge ask and what is difficult and what is dangerous are the people in the NHS and all of the other frontline services putting their lives at risk that's a big ask what we're being asked to do isn't so let's get a sense of perspective let's not be selfish and let's stay at home and protect the nhs and save goodness knows how many thousands of lives it's not difficult let's get keep that sense of perspective the finish line's there it's uh you know it's not days away it's possibly not weeks away but there's a finish line there just got to keep on doing what you're doing We'll get to the finish line and you want to come out of this whole thing with your head held high. You want to be able to say that I did my bit. You want to be able to say that, yeah, I played by the rules. I followed the advice and look how many lives were saved. We've lost sadly thousands of people and we'll continue to do so. But look how many we saved as a result of our unselfish actions by simply staying indoors and keeping a distance. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge ask, is it? Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, mate. Well, thank you so much for, for speaking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I mean, you know, I, I get this opportunity twice a week in the gym when we're open anyway. Um, so it's, it's really, really nice to be able to share your story with, um, with everyone today because I, I do think it's really inspiring. And I think a lot of people can, can take a lot from this from, you know, the way that you started running around the block and you've ended up running around the world and all the lessons and hardships that you've, that you've kind of taken and been through. I think, you know, people can take a lot from this. So thank you very much. My pleasure.